thinking of this more globally uh, of the economy in your town, what's doing really well. So let's double down on those businesses. Let's plant a flag and say our town is known for these things. This is what makes us unique. We're proud of these things. What businesses are missing? So what are the things through our Facebook polls, through talking, um, doing surveys and, and finding out what's what's the town missing? I mean, every town needs certain great things. And then um, how can we, if we don't have it, how can we we recruit? Or what I like to say with R&D is rip and duplicate. Yeah. You know, do that research and development, but go to a town that's far enough away that you wouldn't compete with, study yeah. what's working, and then home grow those ideas with your local entrepreneurs, or your local ecosystem, or recruit from the outside in. That is how you really start to, to reshape your economy and your town. And like, you can be the de facto, like, economic force, but also be the investor with your capital, with your knowledge, with your know-how, build a really sustainable, successful portfolio, empire, you know, whatever you want to call it. This is Better Wealth with Caleb Williams. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Better Wealth Podcast. I'm very, very excited and very looking forward to this conversation I'm gonna have with Jason Duff. I, I got connected with Jason when I was in Naples, Florida. We both spoke at a mastermind and um, I'm going to let him share his story, but I was just blown away by the humility, the passion, the excitement uh, that you had, uh, Jason. Like you love life, you care so deeply for people and yet, you are a ninja when it comes to business and you think outside the box. And so uh, this is really a no-brainer for you to come on on the show and share your story. Um, just to tee you up, um, you have a lot of business experience, real estate experience. Um, you go into like cities or, or towns that are maybe uh, not the most desirable and you make them be like the place that everyone wants to go. I may have, may have butchered that a little bit, but you just have a, such a belief in people and small business. And so with that, man, why don't you give a little bit of who you are, what your business is, and then we can go back and kind of get the story of like why you're doing what you're doing and what made you get to the place that you are today. Caleb, thank you for having me on. Um, it was great to, to connect and meet you and just to share how that connection came about. Um, I uh, was tagged in a Facebook post and it really does show the, the power of social media. Um, I know we share a mutual friend in Tim Chermack from Platform Marketing. And uh, he was posting just his passion that, you know, he grew up in a small town and through COVID, um, that town was challenged. Uh, the local restaurant that um, didn't have much of a seating area. And he wanted to find ways to really get ideas and strategies on how to help his small town win, thrive, sur survive through COVID. And I got tagged in a post. And so we uh, connected on Zoom, um, just found so many synergies together around how we really believe in finding ways to support entrepreneurs and then helping them tell their story and helping, helping them market themselves. And um, it was so awesome to meet you for the first time down in Naples, Florida. And I think I, I just walked away. When you meet cool, interesting people, um, there's like a magnetism that happens. And uh, uh, it's just an honor to be um, speaking to you and, and your guests today on the Better Wealth Podcast. So a little bit about me, um, I'm a third generation uh, small business owner. Both my parents um, owned businesses, and I grew up in um, a small town about 60 miles northwest of Columbus, Ohio. Um, in our town, um, most of the businesses were agriculture-related. 
um, until about 30 years ago, uh, Honda decided to build its manufacturing operations in our area. And so our community um, helps manufacture parts and, and puts together automobiles. So for my, my parents' small businesses, my dad had businesses in construction materials. We sold lumber, concrete, and stone. And my mom owned a Hallmark store. Um, and so uh, growing up in a family business, you spend most of your time working together. Um, and I got to watch and, and, and kind of be mentored. And, you know, at the time when you're young, you, you have to do about every job in a family business, whether it's sweeping the floors, emptying the trash cans, you know, kind of filing all the kind of things that just have to get done to make sure that the business um, stays open. But coming out of that, you know, I really started to realize how impactful um, many of my, my parents, friends, and neighbors, and, and, and the whole ecosystem of our small business economy was for our community. Um, and, you know, like it happens in a lot of towns, um, things are changing and evolving. Um, in Ohio in 1987, when I was a young man, the first uh, Walmart um, in the entire state opened up in Bell Fountain, Ohio. And with my mom having a Hallmark store, you can imagine how the conversations for her and her um, you know, fellow business owners, how scary that was to, uh, to see that. So they had to innovate. And I remember watching them talking about ways that they were focusing on um, providing, expanding their hours, how they were focused on providing gift wrapping and just changing the way that they were doing business to stay relevant and to stay strong and stay successful. So, um, you know, coming out of that, like I uh, wanted to create a business where I could use you know, my unique abilities and skills to um, make small towns better. And uh, we built a company and a unique process around doing that that I'm excited to share more with your guests today. What about the small town did, was attractive to you? Did you just see like the community aspect and and like, was it just a people that you think is forgotten about when you think of capitalism or what about the small town made you so attractive to get started? Well, you know, like any young person, the glowing lights of the city, like are really what attracted me to say, hey, there's awesome things that I like to go to do and experience with my friends in places like Columbus or Chicago and even the larger cities that, you know, whether it's New York, Miami or L.A., What's interesting about the city experience is that that is a place and has been a place for innovation, new ideas, um, culture, diversity. And I think that is what the draw is for a lot of young people that leave their towns and communities. Um, and oftentimes maybe it's going to school or college or finding a great place to leave or meeting a significant other. What I think is crazy and awesome about um, the cities, um, it, it can also, you know, from a marketing perspective, can be the antithesis of small towns. Some people think that a small town doesn't have great restaurants, doesn't have great coffee shops, there's not a great place for people to live. And so I started seeing like these two parallel worlds, and there wasn't really weren't a lot of great examples of small towns that were creating those big city amenities. So, um, you know, the, the plus of a small town is the access to um, people. You know, a lot of times you can go in to, to meet the mayor and the mayor is the decision maker with, you know, building codes, permits, rules. Um, the other thing is, is the affordability of being able to buy property, real estate, start, start a business. Oftentimes your startup costs are a lot less. So I, I saw all those pluses for investing in small towns, rural communities. Um, but then how do we bring the amenities and the perks that 
that that we a lot of people go to the big cities. How do we translate that to to a small town? So um, I started working in a town. While it's not my hometown, it was a town that I was familiar with growing up, and that's Bell Fountain, Ohio. Um, and a lot of people pronounce it a lot of different ways. I've heard it pronounced Belle Fontaine. When you're in Ohio, we have all these little towns and the locals know like how to pronounce it. But if you're not from that area, we give you a pass because Russia is actually Rushi. Um, Versailles is not Versailles. Like it's just, it's just funny. But, but Bell Fountain, Ohio, um, again, Logan County, our county is 46,000 people. The city is 13,000. I would say for many folks, it was deemed an underrated town, even though it was the counting seat and 140 years ago it was the center for industry because the railroad was a, a major employer and in industry in the area. Um, it just the last 20, 30 years um, struggled. 80% uh, of the first floors of the town were vacant and empty. Um, there were challenges with drugs. Um, there were challenges uh, with, with retaining you know, quality workers. Um, but for someone that's entrepreneurial and also, you know, I've always admired Warren Buffett. And the thing I like about Warren Buffett is he's been the contrarian. So he kind of does the opposite of what everyone else does. And that's paid off for him as an investor. So whether you call me naive or brilliant, I started buying, buying buildings in downtown Bell Fountain for a dollar. Um, the buildings were cheap. The renovations and needs and problems with them were not. So significant hurdles to overcome, but part of building and surrounding yourself with a good team, like I sought out people that understood um, design, you know, right. how to, how to properly renovate the building. I sought out people that understood construction and we started like working with one building and recruiting a business to that one building that kind of became the beginning of everything of rebuilding the town. So how many, when did you decide to get into this? What, what year was that? So about 2010, 2011. Okay. So in and... 2000, 2010, were you thinking in your head, like, I'm going to go into Bell, Bell Fountain? <laughs> and, you got it. Okay. And, and like, I'm going to buy a building and I'm going to add value, bring people in. Did you think at that time that you were going to like take over the town? Or is it just one of these things where it's like, hey, instead of buying a, a real estate property that I'm going to have a single family rent for me. I'm just going to dabble in commercial. Like how big of a vision did you have in 2010 as it relates to this is the path I'm going to take? You know, I, I knew that we needed to do something to take back the town. And the vision was I love food and I um, love one of the reasons why I travel to other towns and destinations is I love eating in their restaurants. Um, like I try to find the hole in the wall place that only the locals know about and try to order on the secret menu. Um, I, I just think that that is a big, you know, tourism experience and you get to meet and hear the stories and the heartbeat of what makes that local restaurant establishment special. And uh, for us, like it was recruiting, the, the town was missing a place for people to convene. Um, there wasn't a reason to come downtown and I met an operator that made really incredible pizzas that had a pizza restaurant that people would drive more than an hour to come eat and order, order the pizzas and uh, just would pop in as a customer. And I begged that owner, I said, would you ever consider expanding your locations to other towns? And he was very real and honest with me, like working behind the oven, like saying, you know, I appreciate you asking. That's very nice, but like, no. 
And I went back, you know, a few weeks later, again, just said, hey, I just bought this building. It's got these beautiful 10 ceilings. It's right across from the county courthouse. There's 14,000 cars a day. Like, would you please just, just come like on a Sunday, let, an afternoon, let, let's go look at it. And he quickly said, no. Well, one of my mentors taught me that no is just a delayed version of yes. You just have to keep asking the question other ways. So, you know, I went back again and this time I came prepared. I had pictures. I had, um, you know, some information about like what renovation costs would be. And um, he, he kind of laughed. He said, you're back again. And I had my portfolio all ready to show him. It just happened that when I was there, I was stopping at tables in his restaurant and talking to people. And he's like, how do you know so many people in my restaurant today? And I said, because they're all driving 45 minutes from Bell Fountain, because we are a restaurant desert to eat in your establishment. And I think that's when the light bulb went off. And, you know, part of it in life is luck, but part of it is your hustle of, of really being focused and intentional to see something happen. And I really will tell you, I visioned in my head every night that I went to bed, like I was thoughtful and intentional to say, we're going to recruit a restaurant to town. Well, here's how it came about. He came and toured the building. We partnered up, we got a loan. Um, we built this pizza restaurant. And you can imagine when we announced um, new restaurant coming to downtown Bell Fountain and that hit the newspaper, it hit the radio station, it was on social media. Then the hate started coming in. So like, oh my gosh, downtown Bell Fountain, there's no parking. You know, the, no one would want to go downtown. It's not safe. Parts of the building are falling into the street. And then the other haters came about to say, you, th this kid thinks that he knows what needs to be downtown. There's already 13 other pizza places in the, 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 the city. You know, what a dumb idea. Well, I kind of like proving people wrong. And I think that's another thing is I'm pretty stubborn. And so yeah. like, not only did we open up a restaurant, um, that restaurant has been featured on the Food Network twice. Um, it is consistently our, our, our owner now, Brittany Saxton. She is a five-time world pizza champion. And she was a second place um, contender on the Food Network on Guy's Grocery Games um, for, for, for making some of the best pizzas in, in the country, if not the world. And my whole point with that is like the other secret sauce is the original owner had a mentee that worked with him in the business. She was a dishwasher, a line cook, a pizza chef, an assistant manager. Today, she is the owner of 600 downtown, 33 years old, mom of, of three kids and a rock star force in our town. And I take a lot of pride, like we, you know, working together, we found a building, we recruited a business, we doubled down on that business. And now it's an anchor um, destination and a very profitable uh, sustainable business in, in downtown Belfam. And do you, do you have equity or a portion of the profit that comes in in that? Location? I do. And, and I think that was part of where, um, my learning lesson of, of building wealth and being more intentional. A lot of times as an investor, there's a lot of different ways that you can, can work with a, a, a tenant or a customer or a client. Um, what I found is that I have learned so much and I've made so many mistakes, mistakes, like my value is between my two ears and I have to find a way to number one, value myself, but also package in a way that other people see that valuable, that, that value as well. And so for me, instead of just being the landlord um, or a private money lender, so that's another thing. So you rent the building, 
you provide small loans to operators to start up and, and build their business, but also being a partner with them. Yep. And when you form a partnership, you know, a lot of the statistics are actually really against us in partnerships. Most partnerships fail. But I think the thing about it is, is really asking the tough questions up front and discussing if the business is successful, here's how we benefit. If the business is not successful, this is how we're going to work together to fix it. And so Brittany and I spent a lot of time discussing our partnership and the ways that we could contribute, our unique skill sets that we would bring to it. And every week, it's something that we work on. Um, she and I have done a lot of personality assessments because we actually have different skill sets. Um, she, um, her love language is very different from mine when it comes to the way we communicate. And luckily we know that about each other and we know what each other's strengths and weaknesses are, but together we are a force. And um, you know, every week we meet for um, about two hours just discussing um, ideas, goals, operational things that we can be working on and doing and contributing. Um, we're there to celebrate the highest highs, but I'm also a 911 plan. So in the event, especially during COVID, with most of my businesses, um, I have operational experience where I'm trained to make pizzas, I'm trained to serve, I'm trained to um, clean toilets. There is not a single job that I um, cannot do or will unwilling to do, um, but having that operational experience as an investor makes what I do and what, what we do at Small Nation very different because being in the trenches, we know uh, the importance of selecting the right point of sale system. We know the importance of you know, measuring every ingredient in our kitchen because you know, food cost is one of the most important things to dial in on. And so I, I think you know, the, big, the big learning lesson is like um, you know, having a little bit of courage to be bold, to make a bold move, partnering up with people that have gifts and skill sets that complement yours. Um, and then finding ways to to grow and expand the people that you want to work with to work with them more deeply. I, I love that man. And there's so many so many questions I have. Real quick, when it comes to personality tests, I'm a geek. When it comes to all of that, do you can you give me your quick overview of what your personality is and some of the tests that you guys have taken? Well, the one that's probably most common that a lot of folks do in in high school or college is Myers Briggs. And uh, I think that that's a very general assessment in, in terms of personality. So um, I'm an ENTJ, which is basically a commander. So I have a very, um, you know, I'm good at pulling people's thoughts together and then saying, well, with that feedback, we're going to take this direction and then we go that way. Um, one of the newer ones, I've done DISC, I've done Colby. Um, one of the newer ones that I really like is something called Strengths Finder. Are you familiar with that yep. one? I've taken them all. So, I mean, that's another, a really, and there's a book, there's now Strengths Finders 2.0. And then another one that we just did as a team is something called Working Genius. Okay. That probably has also become one of my favorites. So what's great about that is in the Working Genius, it identifies the thing that you're advice personality-wise then probably not really good at. Then there's um, the working competency. That's something that you're good at, but maybe that's not something that you enjoy doing, but you've got a, a competency or a skill set. And then there's working frustration. So I'm an idea guy. And what we found in our team, there was one team member, God love her. We were talking about it the other day. She's like, in meetings, I get really frustrated with you because my gift, my working frustration is your working genius. And like, you keep coming up with all these ideas. And I just want a list of the things that we need to do, but don't be sharing or ask me about what idea I have on this. And, and so I think that's been the other thing, you know, of creating out just as an investor and then building a team, like we have 14 people that now work with us 
that are entrepreneurs. Some of them are, and some of them are just entrepreneurs. So the entrepreneurs are like, let's go start businesses. I'm all in. I want to work 80 hours a week. And that's what brings me energy. The entrepreneurs are like, I love to grow and build other people's businesses. But at five o'clock at night, I get to turn my head off. And like, that makes me very, very happy. I, I love that, man. I think um, you will be better in relationships. You'll be better in business. We talk about business uh, failing a lot or partnerships falling apart. A lot of that comes from a lack of self-awareness. And I think when you can come to the table, have the humility, have the work ethic and say, hey, this is what I'm bringing to the table. And we're really clear on the output or the result. Um, good things can happen. I have this framework that I have that I teach on. It's called value leveraging. And it's just essentially, it's like you, we have our input, we have our time, relationships, skill sets, resources, and we will get paid. Money will follow for either a product or a service, something that's created that's valuable. People will pay not for the energy or effort, but for the result of what that is in their own life. And so when I see what you're doing, you're like an, the, the textbook example of an entrepreneur that understands value. And then you're leveraging it with either other people, with new news, like you're, you're adding value because when you bring another business into your town, like everyone wins because now you're creating a more magnet for people to want to come to you. Any thoughts on the concept of value creation? And then like my next question is gonna be how you view wealth and your framework for that. But anything else you wanna talk about as it relates to the entrepreneur journey uh, some of the mistakes that you've made and and maybe some advice you would give to someone who's like, who's young, who wants to make a difference, maybe wants to make a difference in their hometown, but doesn't know where to start. The currency that I have and that I try to share with other people in terms of creating value is the way you treat people. Yep. So in a small town, um, your reputation is everything. Yep. And so having um, the way you communicate, the way you treat people, no matter how successful um, I am, like being able to be, remind myself that life gives you humbling moments. And um, I'm always trying to be a sponge and learn and grow um, from other people, hear their perspectives, hear their journey, their, their lessons. Um, and so I, I would definitely say that the advice I would have to, to someone just getting started is like, know that your currency is your word, your reputation, and then um, be authentic. Um, I think probably the mistake, um, like kind of like starting out, feeling like I had to, you know, be, be bigger than who I am. And like, some of that I think is good to have mentors or aspirations and dreams. Like I want to be this version of this celebrity or this, you know, athlete or whoever you look up to. But I think as I get older, you know, just being the authentic version of myself, people pick up on that and they, they feel it. And even if you are a little quirky, a funny, whatever your weird is, like at some point in life, you just need to embrace it. And I'm actually even double down on that. And I love like the hero's journey kind of stuff. Like, you know, for Superman to become Superman, like you had to face the kryptonite. Like, and I think that I've always kind of felt in the entrepreneurial circle or the investor community, when people say like, where are you from or where are you working? And for the longest time, when I said Bell Fountain, Ohio, they're like, Bella where? Like, and again, like I, I think now, like it's actually a badge of honor and a point of pride. Like, no, like I have, have built one of Ohio's most successful downtowns 
And in fact, our branding and what we are, we're Ohio's most lovable downtown. Well, what does it mean to like be lovable? What's the way you treat people? It's the energy, the, the attitude, the experience when you're here eating in our restaurants, visiting with our merchants, staying in our Airbnbs. Like we want to create that experiment that you don't want to leave here, that you want to come back. Um, and, and not only is it now an experiment, it's, it's playing out. And so the way the value creation of building that is finding other people that resonate with those values, subscribe to that vision. And then they, within their gifts, whether it's candle making, whether it's ax throwing, whether it's wedding and event planning, like all of the entrepreneurs are aligned around that vision to create those experiences for their customers and their clients. And they're willing to charge and sometimes charge a premium rate because no one else can create that level of an experience. Yep. And and before we jump into the wealth framework, I when you shared your story in Naples, my wife was just leaning forward and her just eyes were getting bigger and bigger because she's a foodie and like everything that you would talk about, the businesses that you would you went into and in partnership um with and it was just amazing. And she's like, You're you're literally what she wants to be when she grows up kind of deal. And so before we get into the wealth framework um, and, and questions around money, what other, so what happened after you got the pizza, you know, shop, I, that's, I'm undervaluing the whole, that, that deal, but like, what was the next step? And, and can you take us on the mini journey from there that took um, Bell, Bell Fountain to be like the most lovable um, town and, you know, downtown? Yeah, thank you. No. So when you think of pizza, in, in the food realm, what complements pizza? Ice cream, okay. right? Yeah. Dessert. Would, that. Yeah. would you agree with that? So I judge a town on the quality of its ice cream um, and also the quality of its pizza. And so uh, if you can marry those two concepts and we had an empty building that we acquired right next to the pizzeria. And I said, who in all of Ohio does the, the best ice cream? And we have a, a, a local um, custard franchise called Wits Frozen Custard. Um, that started uh, in, in Grand, Granville, Ohio, um, another small town. Again, the Whitman family created this amazing product. They created a unique process to make it and are now franchising this to other you know, towns and communities around the country. Well, you know, they saw, and you know, part of the recruitment, they saw how successful the pizza place was. And when they toured the building, it was kind of curating the right businesses that complement. So now that the custard place is there, we also then have spaces around the busy restaurant, the busy custard shop. And I remember as a kid taking road trips and we would go from Ohio and down to Florida or out to Arizona. And um, on the highways, we would stop at Cracker Barrel for breakfast. And when you go into a Cracker Barrel, and most of them are always busy, right? Um, they have a gift shop. So the gift shop, while you're waiting in line to get into breakfast, they have a shop for people to buy and spend things. And that is very intentional. And I will share with you in the placemaking activities that we're doing in Bell Fountain, when you have really busy restaurants, we're clustering specialty retail stores, antique malls, boutiques, um, you know, home decor, all of those kinds of experiences around the busy restaurants. And we're encouraging a lot of those operators to expand their hours with incentives on evenings and weekends. And so when the restaurants are really busy, when they go on wait, You've got, it's kind of like an air traffic control pattern of people are walking around and many of those folks are walking into shops and spending tens to twenties to hundreds of dollars in stuff. Um, and that, that supports the whole 
whole ecosystem. And then when you get to shops, then the deeper thing is, is how do we give and create things for people to do? Um, so have you been axe throwing before? I have, yes. I made fun of it. I'm like, who would want to go axe throwing? And then one of my buddies said, hey, we're going to hang out one night. And I bought tickets for going to this axe throwing lounge. I had, in fact, I did it in Austin, Texas. And this is probably like when it was completely a brand new thing eight or nine years ago. And you know what happens in Austin, Texas takes like three years to hit Chicago. What happens in Chicago takes three years to hit Columbus. So what, what you can do is like get the cool ideas that are happening in the big cities, deduce those concepts down and then open them up in those smaller markets. And you're like the king. And I've got to give credit. We met this couple that opened up an axe throwing lounge in Ann Arbor, Michigan was their first location. Second location is Finley, Ohio. They came and took the Bell Fountain tour experience, ate the pizza in the gourmet pizza restaurant, grabbed a custard, went down to the number one craft beer bar in Ohio, Brew Fountain. And they're like, they live in Ann Arbor, which is an awesome college town. And they're like, this, we can't believe that this is real. We can't believe that all of these things exist in a town of 13,000 people. And then their next comment was, was to me, we want to open up an axe throwing lounge in Bell Fountain, Ohio. And um, I couldn't be more pleased and proud. Like they have done the heavy lifting, the work, the marketing, they built one of the nicest axe throwing venues in all of Ohio in our town. And I want you to think about this from a business standpoint. When you operate really awesome restaurants in the downtown, you had great places to grab beer, great places to grab dessert. If they have six axe throwing lounges that hold 10 people and every hour that's changing, that's 60 people an hour on Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. I was just doing some math that if each one of those people spend 15, 20, $30 out eating and dining, that translates to millions of dollars a year in contribution, potentially of new people that are shopping, eating, experiencing, seeing Bell Fountain. And so not only is it great to have them in the ecosystem as a tenant, not only are they enhancing the property, improving, you know, growing their wealth, their empire, their business um, enterprises, but it's helping everyone else. And so I think thinking of this more globally, uh, of the economy in your town, what's doing really well. So let's double down on those businesses. Let's plant a flag and say our town is known for these things. This is what makes us unique. We're proud of these things. What businesses are missing? So what are the things through our Facebook polls, through talking, um, doing surveys and, and finding out what's, what's the town missing? I mean, every town needs certain great things. And then um, how can we, if we don't have it, how can we, we recruit? Or what I like to say with R&D is rip and duplicate. Yeah. You know, do that research and development, but go to a town that's far enough away that you wouldn't compete with, study yeah. what's working, and then home grow those ideas with your local entrepreneurs or your local ecosystem or recruit from the outside in. That is how you really start to, to reshape your economy and your town. And like you can be the de facto like economic force, but also be the investor with your capital, with your knowledge, with your know-how to build, build a really sustainable, successful, you know, portfolio, empire, you know, whatever you want to call it. When, when it comes to your, your small nation and, and Bell Fountain, when it comes to the businesses and real estate, how much 
um, are you involved? Are like, do you are you have a hundred percent involvement in all the businesses in real estate, or would you say fifty percent, or what does that look like as it relates to your involvement in that in that town? So um, there's no secret, and and the people that know me well know that I love to work. I love to create. Work is not work for me. But I, I, I get up every day with the idea of what processes can I tweak, fix, improve, and then what lives can I touch to make a, a positive impact. And I look at money and energy as the same thing. So money to me is a tool. Um, it is a tool to um, spread influence, to have impact, to, to invest and build things. Um, and uh, I think that my involvement can be as deep as someone needs and wants. So like I will give 110% and more to someone if they will take that advice and then take action. Um, I find that there are people that are wired and it's okay. Like they, they've got it. They got it figured out. They, they don't need any advice. They, they got to do their own thing. And, and, and to some level, the younger version of myself may have been more that, that driven, I'm going to figure this out on my own, even if I'm stubborn to figure, to do it. But I also think there is a group of people, you can either go through the lesson yourself and learn the hard way, or you can absorb the lessons of others and use that part of your acumen for you know, what you're incorporating into your life. So um, a lot of my work is, um, I give a lot of tours in our town. So we, um, from a consulting side of things, we have a lot of economic development directors, chamber director, directors, investors, small business owners that find out about us. And then they say, we want to come and have you curate an experience for us to learn from these folks, to see inside how you've built these businesses so that we can go back maybe a few towns away or even several states away, and we can be um, motivated, excited, and passionate to do this in our town. So on these tours, the kind of things that I look for when I go into businesses, um, does the store owner, how do they greet you when you walk in? How does the store, the restaurant smell? Are the bathrooms clean? Um, how, um, you know, how is, are they offering a special? Um, how does their signage look? Is their inventory being refreshed? And so we, we kind of help them with quality control and in coaching and mentorship if something is a little off or an employee is having a bad day, like being able to be a coach to teach them, you know, um, wh- where they can improve and, and grow from. And I'm the same way too. Like I, one of the things that every time that someone comes or does business with us, one of the first questions that I'll ask is, you know, do you have any, any feedback for me? Like anything that we can do or any blind spots or any things that you can see that we could be better. Um, and I, I think that continuous improvement philosophy is another competitive advantage that um, we're very fast, very nimble, um, you know, quick to, to, to pivot. And I think in COVID, you know, imagine owning and operating a downtown that has five hair salons, uh, three fitness facilities, uh, seven independently owned restaurants. And then when, you know, COVID hit and everything got closed, I really felt that like, even though we felt we built this really sustainable, incredible, awesome community, systematically, the government closed us all down. And um, it was a really a, a, a very surreal moment. And I think a lot of business owners are still working to come out of that, like really what happened. But what was amazing to me is how we pulled together to innovate, how we were creative, 
how we um, you know, communicated and worked to keep our customers and our employees safe while staying open and, and, and really arguing to our local leaders that um, part of the health of our community and our economy was our small businesses staying strong. And so that's something for me that I'm, I'm really passionate about and want to help other towns without um, a lot of government assistance and support be sustainable. So sustainable means we have to work with our customers, our clients to design something that they actually want to spend money on and, and, and money that we can make a profit so that we can double down and invest even more in our towns and communities. I love that. So in other words, you may not have equity or ownership in every real estate or in every business, but you are 100% invested in the community and such by everybody wins. And that's, I mean, that's, you know, capitalism at its finest when, when everything is done well, the, we are able to enjoy a richer life today because of people, innovation, and and collaboration. Um, I also love what you talk about money and energy and it being a tool. Um, I promise you guys, we we did. I didn't give him notes on what to say. It's it just be attracted to people that get it and and you articulate that um, so well. You you've been public about you not accepting a dime from the government and. Um, you know, not going for even like government grants. I don't, maybe I'm wrong there, but like you've been really clear on that. Can you talk about how you got started? Because someone what, listening to this is like, okay, how in the world, like, did, did you have millions of dollars sitting in a bank? Did you like financing? How did that work? How did you get started? And obviously I'm assuming cash flow now is good because your, your real estate is cash flowing, your businesses are cash flowing and everyone's winning. But how did you get started? I mean, that can be pretty intimidating when you're here and it's quite impressive. So unfortunately, there's not a money tree. Um, we, we had to be creative to, to get capital. Um, I often share, you know, growing up with my mom owning Hallmark stores, um, she did pay me in Beanie Babies. So I like to share that my Beanie Baby collection um, is maybe paying off today, but unfortunately, it's not doing so hot. Um, no, um, so I had to find business models that banks would lend money. And why I was passionate about saving, restoring, and preserving historic buildings, banks oftentimes would look at those as money pits. And um, you know, I would ask bankers, well, what would you lend and provide me a loan on? And they would give me examples. And one of those examples was, well, what about like a self-storage facility? And I kind of looked back and said, well, you mean those little boring garages that are on the side of the road? Um, yeah, no, we would lend you money on doing something like that. Well, I, I did that. I mean, I, I went and I, I was in a college town in Ada, Ohio, and I re realized after I graduated school, like hearing my friends would have to get U-Hauls and then haul their stuff home hundreds of miles away, because in that college town, there was not any self-storage facilities. And I think part of it is, is Caleb, you've got to get your ears yep. tuned to opportunity. 100%. Just because I like this or I want to do this, like, doesn't mean that the path can't get you there. So, like, for me, starting out in self-storage became kind of the rite of passage in real estate investment. And, and I made every mistake in self-storage. I didn't have software. I, like, had a spreadsheet where I would type people's names in, their unit number. And when they would pay me, I'd take a a red pin and like cross it off. Well, I realized really quickly, like people would lie and not pay me. And like, you know, I, I had to track them down. And then I realized, oh, I don't have software 
So this is becoming an accounting nightmare. Like I think every small business owner has a rite of passage where you kind of look in the mirror and you realize what your strengths and your weaknesses are. But like for me, like I, um, I kept pivoting and innovating from that. And I also think I've done jobs. Um, you know, I have sold um, custom imprinted greeting cards. I have fit people with orthopedic shoes. I have sold and helped, um, you know, poor concrete driveways. You know, I, I think there's a lot of willingness and skills, whether you get that side gig and, or that home-based business that you're testing out to learn key skills, whether it's selling, whether it's learning about an industry. And then, you know, through this, I ended up falling in love with real estate and real estate, as you know, is one of the the, 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 the best ways to build wealth because of the tax code, um, because of the ways that compounding works, the ways that um, appreciation and, and there's so many tools. Um, One of the best I, ways I you can love, leverage to acquire it. Banks will- I fell in love with the real estate industry. And for me, it was within the real estate industry, finding a niche. So being the contrarian, doing and investing in the tiniest little towns in Ohio, um, and then, uh, you know, finding multiple ways beyond just the real estate to, to make income and build wealth. And, and another key that I'll mention, we have been very focused on growing the balance sheet and not as focused as the income statement. And I think a lot of investors make the mistake of income, 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 when you really, if you're looking to build wealth, what is the appreciation, the value of your portfolio and how are you doing that? tax efficiently. Yep. Spot on, man. Spot on. Um, where, so I have a couple questions. I'll just say this, where, where are you guys headed? What, where are you guys headed as it relates to what to expect? And then I have two other questions for you as it relates to what makes someone successful and then your wealth framework. And again, man, I'm so grateful for you taking time to be on the show. Appreciate that. Yeah. The, uh, the 2022 goals are focused on a theme of beyond Bell Fountain. So, you know, when I think of how um, the Disney brothers built, you know, Disneyland and Disney World is that they created an experience for people to come and learn and, and, and take back what they learned to wherever they're from. Um, and so we, we've curated, whether it's our co-working operation at Build Co-working Space, um, we created educational labs and experiences and tours that you can come to our town, see, touch, feel um, the businesses, the real estate, the property, see the before and after pictures, and then um, meet the CPAs behind using programs that we have, whether it's the opportunity zone or whether it's the ways that we're using depreciation on our balance sheet. Um, you know, hear from those advisors and take those ideas back home. The other thing is that we're doing a lot of traveling to other towns around the country, giving them um, tools to uh, focus on placemaking, developing their community branding, helping them identify which businesses make sense in the right spots. Um, so a, a kind of the big theme for us is taking, you know, what we've learned doing this for 10, 15 years and uh, helping as many other towns that are like us um, around the country. Um, so that, that's something that's really important to me um, on the personal front, um, you know, to be, I, I just celebrated my 40th birthday um, this past year which I'm going to tell you, it flies, it, it you know, um, it, it completely flies, but now it's also doubling down on health and wellness, energy, 
Um, and so um, I've tried to surround myself with people that are filling me up and those side of things. So it, it's not just your financial health. I mean, it is your spiritual health. It's your, it's your mental health. It's your physical health. And I think of anything that COVID has reminded uh, us of is that like we, to really be the best in our professional life, we have to integrate all of those things. And I think that's for, for a lot of your business and your podcast and things that you do. That's again, why I was so excited to be a guest and just to compliment you is I think you're helping people understand how all those elements, those piece, the puzzle fit together because why I love to work and I'm passionate about work. If that's all I do and I burn and sacrifice my health, um, I have nothing else to give. And you, and you hear and read of so many stories that, that people, they don't recognize that before it's too late. Um, so I would say the, the other thing that I'm, I'm working on integrating on a personal level is to take time to celebrate the accomplishments. Because yeah. um, I always kind of feel, and I think if you talk to most very driven entrepreneurs, you never feel like you've ever, you ever reach it or there. And yeah. so I've always got a little bit of that anxiety, like I've got to do more, I've got to be more, but it's important. And, and I think the self-reflection I'm having and I coach others on, it's okay to like celebrate your wins, like celebrate hard work, celebrate you solving that big problem, overcoming that, that issue, take a breather, but double down on what your vision, your plan is for what you want to do next. And so I'd say the, 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 the last um, piece is really how can I coach, mentor, support, develop the yeah. younger versions of me? Because they're going to sustain when someday when we want to retire, when we want to hand the, the torch over for these buildings, these properties, these businesses, that we've got a good pool of young leaders and young talent um, that are ready, ready to take things to the next level. A couple of things that you said there that I want to highlight. Wealth, it's not just about money in a bank account. We, we both know people that have money but are not living wealthy. And so wealthy is really a sum total of your time, your talents, your relationships, your health. There, there's so many other aspects. And for us, it really comes down to intentionally living. Is if you are able to say, I'm able to be intentional with every moment, you're a wealthy person. And so that is definitely the metric that we help try to wake people up to. And so I'm, I'm grateful for you saying that. The other story that comes to my mind is the starved baker. Someone who's making bread for everybody else doesn't feed themselves and ends up dying. And guess who they're not able to feed after they're gone? Everybody else. And so how many, how many times do entrepreneurs starve themselves and, and quite frankly, put them out of, the, out of actually adding value? And so two, two examples that are just, I'm grateful that you highlighted. I'm going to throw in one more question. I'm, this just happens. When, when people come to you, businesses, people, I know that you mentor quite a few people and you just, you love to encourage and share your insights. What, what is the most common piece of advice you give somebody? You said earlier, authenticity is key. Um, it's clear that you have a passion and obsession when you, when, when small towns come or when people come to, to, to get mentored or insight, do you give a similar advice or what do you, what do you find yourself saying maybe more than once that we should like double click on or highlight to be like, there, there might be something there. So the amount of people on reach outs that I get for, Hey, can I pick your brain? Um, is yeah, it is awesome. And, and again, it's a, I appreciate it, but I've had to be more discerning yeah. and there, there isn't a 
Facebook message, LinkedIn message, a tweet. I eventually get back to all of them. It may take me a week or two, but I will get back to all of them. But what I'll do is I'll probably suggest to check out a book, um, an article, and have them email me. I'll ask them a question. I want you to check this out. I want you to read this book. I think it's going to help you. But I'd like you to you know, answer this question. And I'll share what that question is. Out of the people that I share that advice to the pick your brain, I maybe get about 20% of people that actually will take action on the piece of advice that I share to help them. So one of the biggest uh, differentiators, and I encourage you know, your listeners to reach out to people that inspire you that you think may be in a different league. And I, fi- I find that if, if you do catch their attention, they give you advice, take action on it because of those 20% that will read the book, do read the article, do what I tell them to do, they then have unlimited time with me because I, I see that they're willing to take action on advice. And so I think be coachable, be moldable, and be open to new ideas. And I run into a lot of towns, communities, clients, potential employees for hire that think like they've got it all figured out. And no matter how successful I get, I don't have it all figured out because as you get to different levels in life, like most people think the more money you get, the more businesses that you own, the more, you know, um, open loops, whatever you want to call, like it gets easier. It doesn't, it actually gets harder. You have more responsibilities. You have new problems that arise. And so um, I I think it's really being open to being coached, um, always being willing to grow and um, being willing to step out of your, out of your comfort zone. I mean, I I think every day um, there are new things that challenge me intellectually, mentally, spiritually, but like it's podcasts like this one that if you can listen and absorb a nugget yep. and then implement it. Yep. And I think I listen to a lot of things, but sometimes I, I go to a new conference or an event and I'm like, I come home, like all, I call it conference breath. Like I've got conference breath and I'm so freaking excited, but if I don't write it down and then say, okay, I'm not going to implement all these things overnight, but I'm going to do this one thing. I'm going to jump on. And whether I'm going to go to small nation strong, which is our website, I want to read some of these case studies. And like, I want to like take this one idea to the mayor in my town to investor in my town and implement it. If you guys do that, let me just tell you big high five for you. Um, And and you're probably in that 90% or in that, that 10% category that the 90% of people that are listening right now just aren't able to make that next jump. So I think that's my challenge to your listeners today and the people viewing this, like, Take something that you've learned today and then go implement. Yep. Taking action can be the ultimate filter and can help you gain clarity. And I 100% agree with that. Really appreciate you articulating that. Um, I'll kind of answer your next question for you. Tell me if I'm off on this. But if to one of the characteristics as it relates to being successful, would you say is a humble, coachable, action-centered spirit? Would anything else that you would add to that? Hungry. Hungry. I, I think like whether it's it's that you there's something more that you that you want out of life, yeah. out of people. Um, 
and, and I, I think there's different phases of life of when you need different things. Yep. And so, um, but I think always being, being hungry to want, want what's next or what's different or what you, what you need and what you can do to feed others. As we're wrapping this up, time flies. I just noticed the time. Um, Wealth Framework 101, I know you won't be able to give the full developed answer, but if someone wants to be wealthy and they can implement something, what would be your framework and what would be the one thing that they should look into doing? First thing is the three people that you surround yourself with, the three people that you spend the most time with, you'll become, you know, a, a version of them. And so I try to surround myself with people that motivate me, push me, challenge me, but at their core are just really good people. Um, and sometimes there's friction that comes with that with family and significant others. Like it's, you know, just because you, you, your biological family was this doesn't mean that your, your real life family becomes this. And, you know, some of the closest people in my life are not physically in Ohio. They're in other States. Um, but we schedule time. I, I'm on a, an accountability call every Sunday at five o'clock PM been doing this call now for 15 years with two guys that I met at an Inc 500 conference you know, 15, 16 years ago. And just at that conference, we, we committed to accountability and mostly it was professional, but what's happened over that 15, 16 years, most of our calls of hundred percent moved to personal goals, cool. health, family, relationships. And, um, through those calls, you know, some of the, my, 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 my friends and my brothers on that call have lost parents, um, have been through, you know, significant relationship issues. Like I, I think at a, at a level, like we, you have to, it's who you surround yourself with and how you're nurturing and growing them, but also how they're challenging and, and holding you accountable to things that you want to do too. That to me, you can have all the tactical skills of selling and sales and marketing. You can be the best accountant, but until you get the framework of the people around you to, to challenge you, push you, build you up. Um, and then also pick you up when, when you're, when you're not good, um, that's life. And I, and I think, um, that, that has been a key element to, to, to my, my personal professional and financial success. If this is your last day on earth and you couldn't give your closest friends and family any book, audio, talk that you've ever given, you just had one last conversation with them, what would you make sure to highlight in that conversation? I think that the uh, love is demonstrated in a lot of different ways. Love can be service. Love can be a courage. Love can be um, sacrifice. I I think is, is I have lost mentors and family members who have inspired me um, and being a part of that kind of end of life journey. Um, the thing that kind of keeps coming up is just, just what we built and did together. And even sometimes, like, I, I think that the, the best memories that I have are the hardest points in life when I felt like, oh, is this business, am I going to close? Like, and this, and there's kind of rites of passage, whether it's the, the employee that steals from you, the, the business partnership that breaks up, the, the someone threatening to a lawsuit, like all of these things that when you're in the crisis of it, 
um, and you look back and how you overcame it and, and what you learned from it, it, it is that definition of love. And, and I think that the purpose of someone's job and their work and the way they contribute to their community is one of the highest sacrifices and one of the highest gifts that you can use in life. I appreciate the way that you communicate. I appreciate what you're doing just in this world. I appreciate the passion and the hunger that you have. Smallnationstrong.com. You got it. And I just want to encourage people to check out the website. I know that I'm speaking for you. Like if you're someone who's an investor and wants to be involved, like just continue to be in the world that Jason's in. Cause I know that there's going to be opportunities in the future. I know there's like good people create that collaboration, but especially if you're somebody that's like, I want to go check, check out what they have going on or may be representing a small town of your own. Um, I could not give a greater endorsement than to um, take the time, take the money investment and and really dive into what they're doing at Small Nation. Anything else that you want to say as it relates to how people can connect with the movement that you're building and um, any final words? No, thank you for um, having me um, on today. And uh, I'm just excited. Like I, I think heading into this next year, um, you know, that you turn on the news and you hear a lot of the negative, but like there are so many opportunities with the changing patterns, landscapes, um, and there's a lot of excitement. Um, and, I, and, I, and I think it's us um, helping people realize that their gifts and the ways they can plug into this, the, the, the ever-involving innovation that's happening in our world. But it is a, it is a pleasure. Thank you so much for, for having me today and um, uh, just, just wishing you the best in this, this upcoming year. Thank you so much for listening to the Better Wealth Podcast. It would mean the world to me if you could hit subscribe, leave a review, and share this with the people that you know and love.